informational. When DJ arrived at the frat house, he was greeted by the presence of five other men. One was a white guy wearing jeans and a cap. The others had on slacks and tie, or no tie at all. DJ and one other guy were the only two to wear a suit. One guy was about 6'2 with curly hair, almond-colored skin, and an attitude that did not match his handsome looks. He was leaning on the red brick wall with everyone else waiting to be let inside. The other guys didn't make much of an effort to interact with DJ. DJ wasn't focused on them. In fact, he never stopped to think about the other men he would have been online with. But he thought it weird there were only six men present. At dawn, there would have been at least 50 male students present at an Epsilon information. DJ didn't expect to see 50 men there, but something approaching 20 would have made more sense. Once the men were let into the frat house, the brother who opened the door suggested they look at the chapter composites of men who had crossed their chapter. It was impressive. Although he spent some time in their frat house helping with their scrapbook, DJ didn't recognize any of the brothers who were present. DJ thought that was odd. The almond-colored guy was again leaning, but this time on their case of trophies and away from everyone else. He wore flashy clothes that didn't seem to match the persona of most Epsilons. Still, DJ kept an open mind. A couple of the brothers remarked at how nice DJ's suit was. Another brother started laughing. DJ thought perhaps he had become the butt of a joke. Just then, another brother they had not seen walked right up to the white guy and asked to talk to them in another room. Those present traded glances. The white guy left. It seemed to DJ that the members had a problem with his attire. Not long afterwards, Payne showed up. DJ heard Payne's voice upstairs talking not long after they walked inside. He couldn't make out all of the conversation, but he could tell Payne was not happy. When DJ first interacted with the members of the fraternity, they were preparing for a conference and competition. He helped them with their scrapbook and display. They used the first floor of their fraternity house because it honestly took up that much space. With that work completed, the house looked less impressive as well. Their furniture was old and none of it matched. The sofas were clearly as old as DJ's 16-year-old sister. The house also had a smell too because of the sofas. DJ fought the urge to stand instead of sitting. As impressive as it was to have a house, they did not seem to care for how it looked or smelled. Some blinds were made from a sort of metal while others were plastic. Both were ragged and broken. A window was broken. There were holes in the yellow-colored walls. A light fixture was hanging loose and ready to fall at any moment. The floor had not been swept or mopped in weeks. The 32-inch television they had was connected to a Wii console. The podium the speaker spoke from wobbled the entire time. This was a business meeting, no matter how casual the members tried to portray the situation. Though this is a living room, DJ wondered why they, had, why they would opt to have them sit on sofas that were flush against two walls with a footrest between them. Though there were only six aspirants in the room, someone had to sit on the footrest. 
DJ knew the footrest was dirty, but reasoned it was probably more clean than the sofas. These guys were nasty. He recalled a time when he was working on the scrapbook and needed to go into the kitchen. Once in there, he found large flies circling the sink and trash cans that had dirty dishes with food that clearly hadn't been washed or taken to the dumpster in weeks. So. DJ reasoned, these guys have probably had sex several times over on these sofas, liquor-induced vomiting, or even times when someone equally nasty slept on the sofa while nude. But it wasn't likely they would have done any of those things on the footrest. The entire situation was so underwhelming, DJ was actively rethinking his decision to pledge Epsilon. He wondered, how could the man that I've fallen for be so proud to be president of men who care so little about everything. The informational started. The few fraternity members who bothered to attend introduced themselves, recited poems, shared some information about their fraternity, and even gave information about costs and the application process. It was also haphazard, and it felt thrown together. No one knew what they were doing. Toward the end, they asked each prospect to introduce themselves by giving their GPA, hometown, organizations they were involved in, and any other information they thought they might need to know. This was the first time DJ allowed himself to pay attention to any of the potential line brothers. The tall skinned member with a scar on his face started on the opposite side of the room, so DJ would have been the second to last to introduce himself. The first to introduce himself was Wesley, a freshman from a small town. He was a tall guy about 6'4 with a dark complexion and a 3.0 GPA. He was a bit thick and not very attractive. As immature as a chapter could be, their members were very attractive. DJ couldn't see how he'd be picked. The next guy to introduce himself looked old, a receding hairline, and had a pot belly. DJ was so utterly unimpressed with him, he didn't hear much. However, he noticed how the chapter interacted with him. DJ realized Payne was not impressed, and yet he could sense the chapter would pick him in an instant. The sharp, balding, big-stomach dude let it slip that he was the roommate of a current member. DJ knew then that the big stomach dude would have an easy road until his roommate declared that just because they were roommates that his vote wasn't necessarily secure. He went further and explained that just because each of the men there knew a brother that they all shared an oath to choose men of the highest caliber. That was the first time DJ was impressed by a member of Epsilon from Wesley. True, he had on shorts in January, a black polo, and a baseball cap at an informational, and yet versatility was seen in him. Perhaps there was hope for these guys, and yet DJ realized also that he had been judging them. He hadn't earned the right to judge any of them for who they were. They were members, and he was only hoping to become a member. As more men were introduced and members chose to instead act silly, DJ decided to rehearse in his head what he would say. He hadn't prepared for that. Payne shared with him history of his fraternity but didn't warn him about introductions. DJ wasn't known for small talk, so the thought of having to introduce himself terrified DJ. He noticed that the leading question changed slightly with each person. DJ couldn't predict what would be asked, however, he could quickly answer whatever question was asked and volunteer information he wanted to present. 
And now, the Scarface guy asked him to introduce himself. DJ immediately got the impression he hadn't impressed him. That was difficult for him to understand. Payne once told DJ that his line brother had a scar on his face. And in a separate conversation, he also admitted that his line brothers talk about everything and that together they run the chapter. If DJ couldn't impress him, then he knew he would have problems. Instead of his prepared speech and the realization that he wasn't impressing someone he knew he needed, DJ could only muster up general information. When he was done, the Scarface brother asked him, What? Agitation was clearly on his face. Other brothers laughed. This time, Scarface said, We need to know who you are as a person. DJ's response was clear, strong, and convincing. I am Donnie Holmes. I'm a junior majoring in political science from a small town with a little sister. I'm extremely active on campus. I have a 3-4 cumulative GPA. I want to be a man of Epsilon because I thought about men in my life who have done great things and have beaten the odds. They have all been Epsilons. The legacy of greatness that exists within your organization is something that I can only hope to add to. What great men do you know? asked the Scarface guy. DJ hadn't anticipated that question. In fact, no one else had been questioned based on their information. Without thinking, DJ responded. My high school principal and my middle school principal were both the first men in my hometown to serve in those positions. They were well respected by everyone who knew the black men and white men. They had a stature that others found it difficult to emulate. DJ knew both of those men were Epsilons, but he had never realized that is how he thought of either of them until the words were gushing out of his mouth. Where are you from again? asked the Scarface guy. I'm from Live Oak. It's about halfway between Tallahassee and Jacksonville. DJ knew this time he explained himself well and that those words were well received, but he was also doing his best to hide how freaking scared he was in that moment. He was so scared he heard his heart beating louder than his voice. He didn't realize until after the attention was, not, was no longer on him that he had moved from the edge of the footrest to the other side of the footrest. He was now sitting on one hand and dragging one side of his jacket under him. DJ had been in stressful situations before, but he had never done something so odd before. He decided he would sit and try to figure out later what he had done. After he spoke, he realized Payne was not in the room. Payne's vice president was in the room. The entire time he spoke, he noticed how Sean, Payne's vice president, was smiling at him and shaking his head in approval. While Sean never shied from looking at people in the eye and smiling as he held a conversation, DJ never mistook that as Sean being gay. Truth be told, there were some things about Sean that would make DJ believe he were gay, but just as soon as he entertained those thoughts, he dismissed them. Sean was a charmer. That's all there was to it. And DJ found Sean to be extremely charming. He was equal parts charming, driven, and smart. He was the type of man DJ would have loved to have been with if he were gay. Alright, so... I remember in real life what actually happened on the night of the information. So I remember um, I was told to earlier in the day get a digest. Um, I was on campus. 
I was a student on campus at the time. Um, I was taking two classes. I was told to get a digest, but it was a campus newspaper that I wasn't familiar with. It was a whole bunch of white news, and I didn't care about it. Like, I really didn't care about it, but I got the paper. You know, I was told to get it, so I got it. So I picked it up. I read through it. I didn't see what it was I was supposed to look for, so I called pain um and i was just like i don't like what is it i'm supposed to be doing with this and he was just like you didn't call yet you need to call you need to call right now so i was like i don't know who to call where like who am i calling what like what's this tell me something so he said look on page whatever page i looked on page whatever it was like this little tiny little (laughs) it was this, this little tiny blurb about uh informational call this person at this number um so (laughs) i was like all right (laughs) so i called i called the number and the dean at the time um it was it was a number to to his room in the frat house and so he was just like oh yeah um Okay, all right, and I I could tell like he was like super suspicious. Like, come on, dude, like for real, like you just you just found this in the paper. Like nobody just finds that. Somebody told you something. Like he was one of those cats. Like, come on, let, let, be real, be honest. Um, of course, I didn't know that about him at the time. To me, he was like he was the coolest dude in the entire chapter. Like for real, he was the coolest dude in the chapter at that time. Um, but he was like. Ain't nothing to it. Just, you know, just just come. But you need to come today. It's today at, you know, whatever time. So I had to leave. See, at the time I was vice president of student government. So I had to leave that event to go to this other event. Good thing at that event, like no one was expecting to see me. I just kind of showed my face. Right. So I showed my face and I left. I got dressed. Um which was like a, a big deal at the time because, you know, everybody knew on campus, I'm, I'm going to wear a T-shirt and some jeans and some tennis shoes. And that's it. Like, that was my thing. And I was known for that. So I left. Um, I, had, I had a car at the time. So I left um, that activity center. I drove to my dorm. I got dressed. I, you know put on my, my little suit and whatever, whatever kind of shoes I had at the time. Some church shoes. It was some bona fide church shoes. Like it wasn't nice. It was just some it was straight up church shoes from my small town, you know, what old men wear. Like for real. Um and so, you know, I showed up, um, and you know, how I described it, that's actually how it happened. Um I remember like even my impressions of of the the guys there, I I kind of captured that. Um, It was like a long time between the time that we were to get there and the time that it actually started. It was like an hour. It was like we were just waiting. Like, like they had their shit together. Like, come on, man. But anyway, um, so, um, and I just, I described that part right about, how I felt. I remember I felt so uncomfortable. Like it was the most uncomfortable feeling that I'd ever felt at that point in my life. 
And it was mostly because I didn't know these guys. I, I didn't know anybody that I, that I was there with who was in my current situation. And I didn't know anybody in the chapter who was in that room at that time. Like all the people who were in, in that room at the time never showed up. They never, ever showed up. And that was that was, I guess, the first time that I started to realize that there was a difference between people who did the work and who like who were only there for like certain reasons. Right. So. Uh, can I talk about this now? Should I talk about this now? I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, whatever. So that was the first time that I realized that some people were playing with the fraternity and and then there were others who were serious about it. Right. And so the, the people who showed up at the informational, they were playing like they've never been active a day in their life after they graduated. Right. They they only pledged because they wanted to go to parties and want to get drunk. They want to have sex uh, with girls. They wanted to um, they wanted to go to parties. They wanted to. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's what it was. The Scarface dude who showed up in a suit. Well, he it wasn't like a suit. It was like khakis, and it was a, um, it was a, it was a, it was like a blazer. But he he definitely had on a shirt and tie, right? He looked the part. He looked the part. Um, and Payne, he looked the part as well. Um, I had been to informationals at dawn, and one hundred percent of the guys. Who were that? Who were in the chapter had on a black suit and tie, one hundred percent. So leaving Dawn, Dawn going to Wesley, and experiencing that was a culture shock to say the least. There was no advisor present, no advisor present, which I thought was odd. Um, but anyway, um, I do remember, um, I don't think I captured it in the story, um, because I'm like, I'm doing my very best not to, you know, kind of describe what happened, like the specifics of what happened. Um, but they were like, they asked like some very, very pointed questions that night that kind of like, it left me shook, like, like, who asks questions like that? Like, for real? Like, but they asked and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't warned about what would happen. And that for me was, you know, like, damn, like, you ain't tell me this was going to happen. Like, but I seem to have impressed them enough um, that they gave me the required votes and at that particular time it wasn't 50 percent like I, I, I've come to realize that you know chapters are just 50 percent no it was three-fourths three-fourths of the chapter had to accept had to say they wanted you and and that was the vote that I got right and the voting took place that night of course we didn't know that you know we, they, I remember they kept us in this little small little room, which was the president's office. It was like, <laughs> it was small. It was really, really small. They had a bed. It had like a little, it had a bed in one spot. And then right across from the bed was like a, a desk with a computer. And, 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 and that was all the space that we basically had in there. Like enough for 
a bed and a computer and where the, the door swung open and the closet space. And so it was all of us in that, in that one little room. We couldn't, we couldn't sit on the, on the bed, even though there were no sheets on the bed at all. Um, but we were there all like, like this, right? So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, those were my impressions of that night. Um, I, I honestly don't remember what happened after that night. I don't remember where I went. I don't know if I went back to my dorm room or if I stayed on campus. I don't remember. I don't remember any of that. But, uh, yeah, that was the beginning. That was the beginning. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of New Love with DJ Holmes. It is truly appreciated. If you listen to me from Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher, Breaker, Google Podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcast, CastBox, or Overcast, you can contact me directly by emailing DJ Holmes, the number one, T-R-U, pairing at gmail.com. All you have to do is record yourself and email your message to DJ Holmes, the number one, T-R-U, pairing at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening to New Love.